welcome to Let's Talk Church. I'm Brian. And I'm Matt. We're here to talk about all that is going on in the church world. In this podcast, we find blog posts, articles, and vicious rumors about the church world, and we talk about it. All right, Matt, let's do it. Let's talk church. Matt, you've brought us a, a, an interesting article. No, is it one that I read first? I don't remember. It was one you brought to us. Is it one that I brought to us? My goodness. Yes, uh, sir. Take some credit for it there, Brian. Yeah, it's um it's an interesting one. I I was very when I read it the first time, I I didn't know what to think. And then I read it a second time and thought something different. And then I read it a third time and thought something different still. So I feel the same exact way. Yeah. yeah, it's a uh, so in Christianity today, I think is where it comes from. Yeah, uh, just back in July, um, Jason Casper wrote this. Uh, it's called "Christian and Muslim Leaders Agree on Legitimacy of Evangelism." So, it's it's an article about a international religious freedom summit, um, in which. A large Muslim organization and a large evangelical association um, signed a statement of cooperation in which the goal is to avoid, you know, uh, too much combative um, competition, right? Not necessarily that it's cooperative, but it's trying to steer away from that combative violent response on both sides. What do you think about this, Matt? It's defined large. Well, the uh, the Islamic Association claims 90 million members. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. Um. Mm-hmm. The World Evangelical Alliance, I've not found how many people that they claim. 600 million. 600 million, okay. So both pretty pretty large groups. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Joe Blow has heard of either of these people, though, or either of these groups? Um, I've never heard of either of them. Right, and you're way uh, more educated in the church world stuff than Joe Blow. Right. right. Well, I say I've never heard of either of them. The World Evangelical Alliance. I've probably read some stuff from them without realizing it's from them. Um, I don't immediately recognize their logo. Um, so, yeah, you, you might be right. They There might be... A little bit of misconception there that these are two serious organizations that speak for large swaths of the church and for the Islamic world. Um, yeah, that's that's part of my point there. I'm, they're both saying these large numbers. I looked them up on Wikipedia, but I feel like they're both kind of speaking from minority positions. Now, that doesn't make them illegitimate doesn't make them false but i think that's important in the subject 
Yeah. Because it's kind of like, well, they're saying these things, but this is really make much difference. And I, and I'm like, you, I first read it one way and then kind of read it another way. I uh, got different impressions. What was your first impression there, Brian? My, my first concern, and it, and it still is a concern. Um, there's a, a quote, uh, about a third of the way into it. Um, in which the, the WEA side, the, the World Evangelical Alliance, says, uh, quote, we're working together for the right to convert each other. At, at first, and, and like I said, still, that, that kind of bothers me. And I, I know that's, that's part, of, part of my my upbringing, right? Um, I, I find it strange that Christians would be willing to step back and say, yeah, it's okay for Muslims to try and convert us. Um, uh, it, it just strikes me as we're saying it's okay to allow Christians to no longer be Christians. Well, I think it's important we read the rest of his quote, though. So let me let me read that real quick. It says, We are working together for the right to convert each other. The German theologian said, Religious freedom does not mean that we agree, but that we live in peace with our deep differences. Right. I think that's important, and I think that probably goes into how you probably read it differently the second time, because it definitely does for me. Because my first reaction was exactly what you said, and it comes from my upbringing as well. Uh, first, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just let the cat out of the bag here. When I think Muslim, I think enemy. I know that's completely wrong, but that's what I think. I think that religiously. I think that politically. I think that socially. That's the first thing I think that you think of because, because of September 11th. We're coming up very soon on the 20th anniversary of such a thing. My first recollection of knowing much about Muslims was that, right? And that wasn't knowing much except for, hey, they're the enemy. And then later I learned some. And then later in seminary classes, we learned some about the, 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 the you know, actually Islam. But what we've seen so much has been what's called extremism on their side, right? Right. And this group, we're going to call them EU because I'm not sure how to pronounce their name. Um, but in the article that he summarized in EU, really seems to come from a more less extreme side of uh, Islam, just like Christianity, where we have lots of different groups and denominations. So does Islam. And this group seems to come from a less extreme side. So they're more willing to do things like this. <coughs> they don't seem as bad. Right. But to go back to what you were talking about. Yeah. The first thing I thought was, Oh no, we can't be letting them try to convert people. What, why would we allow such a thing? But the question is, who's not to allow? One thing this goes into is, is it talks a little bit about governments running countries. We have never lived under a government that was ran by the church. As Americans, we're kind of against such a thing. Right. But they have, and that's kind of what they're looking at, is government running, or the church running the government. And so they need things in place to allow religious freedom. Now, because we are Americans, I'm very much in favor of religious freedom. Absolutely. Um, I think that the Muslims 
have a right to exist. And yeah, I, I kind of would disrespect them. I, I'm not disrespecting them. I kind of would think less of them if they weren't trying to convert somebody. And I think we also should have the right to be able to try to convert them. You know, if I was at a religious freedom summit like this, I guarantee you I'd be telling somebody about Jesus. Because uh, you got to, right? Right. Um, and again, that comes from that background, that uh, almost extremism Baptist thing, you know. Um, we've got to really, uh, really push, push, push about Jesus. So I'm okay with that. So, yeah, I kind of thought the same thing, too, but I think the rest of the quote really matters, that he's talking about religious freedom here. And, yeah, we got to – they have just as much right to be prophetizing as we do. Um, I have less respect, like I said, for a religion who wouldn't prophetize. If they don't really believe it's wrong, it's the, the right thing, I have very little respect for Christians who don't try to convert other people because if you believe this is the truth, if you believe because of this – you know, you're going to have an eternal relationship with the Lord. Why wouldn't you tell other people about that? Right. Why wouldn't you want to bring other people with you? Yep. So. Absolutely. And I, I think, I think you're right. You know, that on that, that first reading, the only thing that I really saw was that first portion of the quote. Um, and, he, and he goes on later on and talks about the, you know, we have to stand for each other's freedom of religion. And that's, that's a big deal for me, right? That we have to let people make their choice, you know, whether it's right or wrong in our eyes, they have to be allowed to make that choice. And as hard as it may be to see someone choosing what we think is wrong, they think the same thing about us, you know, um, but it's, it's not my place as a Christian even to step in and say, you cannot be Muslim, right? Um, I'm pretty sure it's Paul in 2 Corinthians. Um, and it's, a, it's one of those references that I use all the time. You know, everyone jumps to Jesus saying, you shall not be judged. And they always forget the last, last part of that, lest you also be judged by the same measure. Yeah, they do. Paul, Paul <laughs> rather says it's not his place and therefore not our place to judge those on the outside of the church. Right? That's God's place. Let him, let God handle them. Let us take care of ourselves and each other. Right? Um, and I think that's a big part of understanding religious freedom is being able to accept that it's not my place to legislate someone else's beliefs. It's not my place to say, you must believe this, right, to be a part of our society, which they get into at the end of, of this article, how in Indonesia they've started pulling back some of that legislation, um, which I think is great. I think it gives us a chance to begin to make that difference uh, in lives. Um, but I it's it's definitely it's an interesting article uh, an interesting topic um, there's a lot about relationship here um, that, that breaking those barriers that have been standing in the way for 
centuries, you know, that now that things are starting to break down on the Islamic side, right, there's a chance for Christianity to, to begin to grow. Um, like I said, they're in Indonesia, they broke down, uh, they removed Kafir uh, or infidel slash non-Muslim uh, from uh, as a religious category altogether and swapped it out with uh, more wording about citizenship. You know, breaking that barrier to begin with is a huge deal, right? Because at this point, from the government's perspective, Christians are, are no longer second-class citizens, right? They're simply other people. And when you begin to look at someone else as a person, change can happen. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, whenever we try to classify them, someone else as an enemy or as wrong, I don't want to say wrong, as an enemy, we, we start to dehumanize them, right? Right. But when we humanize them, you know, one of the reasons that we moved to Dallas, and I'm going to say that on this podcast because people can Google me until I live in Dallas. <laughs> right. Um, I'm pretty pretty open about those things. Um, one of the reasons we moved to Dallas is is because there's more diversity here mm-hmm. than, than than where I come from, and um, my son is friends with kids who are who, whose families are Muslims, you right. know, and I'm okay with this. That just makes it even more that I need to make sure I teach my kid about Jesus and don't let society do it and don't try to figure out he's going to get some religion from osmosis or something here, you know? Right. I'm his father, and the Bible says I'm supposed to teach him. Um, so I should be doing that and not be afraid because there may be another viewpoint out there. Or there may be – I say viewpoint as if all viewpoints are right. I'm not trying to say that. There may be other information out there even false information. Mm-hmm. And I need to not so much keep the other information away from him is to make sure I give him the correct information. Right. right. Because if I try to hide information, then it starts looking like, well, why don't they try to hide this from me? And well, that applies to a lot of things in life. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I've seen in this article was that the current president of Indonesia, which is technically a secular government, Mm-hmm. But they still have things like blasphemy laws in place. Blasphemy laws from the Muslim perspective, not from right. the Christian perspective. And so this president was the, the current president is the former president of this organization who's trying to make these changes. So that's helpful. And that it's already somewhat, at least if it's even nominally a um, secular government, they're, they're in a position to make changes like this. That's why I don't think governments ought to be based on religion at all. But, you know, even our government, our, our American culture has changed to allow more diversity nowadays, which has allowed more chaos in some cases, but also allowed some of our citizens to become more free to be seen as humans and not literal second-class citizens. Right. Or in the case of our Constitution, three-fifths of a person. Right? Uh, yep. Um, there is a time in our country's history where although we were a secular government, there are many things were illegal because of the religious reason, not because of anything else. 
you know? Yeah. Um, a good example is let's, let's, let's talk about marriage, you know? Um, there's a long time in our country that marriage between two men or two women was completely illegal and you could go to jail for it. Then we couldn't go to jail for it, but it just couldn't happen. And then things changed, right? Now, religiously, there's lots of good reasons why gay marriage is a sin and should be, shouldn't happen and all this stuff. But for our secular government to make a sin illegal, eh, that's pretty hard. Right. You know? And we have to remember and look at it from the other side. What about the 10% of Christians that live in Indonesia and go to jail because they committed blasphemy according to the Muslim religion, according to Islam? Yep. You know, that's where we have to look at things like that. Uh, so I'm, yeah, to the second reading of this, and I, I think that right there says something too. We've talked about reading it several times. It's important that we process information that we, we take time to understand what we're reading. To the second reading of this, I definitely was like, well, this kind of makes sense. I still wonder if these groups have enough influence to make a big change, but they made some change somewhere. I was going to say, I, I think it's, it's a, it's hard for us to say how much of a difference that they've made because of the fact that we're, like I said, in Dallas. Um, yep. And nowhere near these people or what's th- happening with them in, in Indonesia this has probably made a huge difference. Um, yeah, I mean, already there was, there was a, there's understanding among Indonesians that even those who leave Islam for Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever you want to, whatever other religion you want to choose, they're not outcasts, right? They're still allowed to walk freely, which is something that, in some Islamic countries is not the case at all, right? If you leave Islam, you're ostracized at best, right? At worst, they're, you know, they're stoning you or throwing you off of a building. Um, in, in doing, in doing this specifically in is in Indonesia, I think there's a a good chance that this will spread to other I don't want to use the the word more liberal but less extremist is islamic countries um and as it spreads to then it can begin to make an impact on the more entrenched islamic countries um indonesia if I remember right, as a as a country, is the most Islamic country in the world, uh, as far as like per capita, it's it's a huge percentage of the population that is um, Islamic. Uh, let's see. Oh, it mentioned in there. I think eighty-seven percent. Which yeah, eighty-six point seven percent. Yep, 86.7% of the Indonesian population identifies as Muslim in 2018 out of 225... No, there's 225 million Muslims in Indonesia. And for those who are less geographically inclined, Indonesia is a pretty small little island country outside of uh, the Philippines and Australia. That's a lot of people packed into a small place. 
that are Muslim. It's the world's largest island country. Right. Consists of 17... I'm looking at Wikipedia. Consists of 17,000 islands. Yeah. Yeah, if you count all the, the little micro-islands. But it's the 14th largest country by area in the world. Really? So it's lots of little <laughs> places, but actually the country is 14. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. It's the fourth most populous country. And here's what you were talking about. The most populous Muslim majority country. Majority country. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. Um, and I think as they make um, uh, as they as they make changes, hopefully it will flood out to to the others. Um, Two hundred and twenty-five million Muslims in Indonesia, but Saudi Arabia only has like 20 million because the population of the country itself is only at like 34. And you know, Saudi Arabia is only so influential because they uh -huh. have so much oil. Right. Yeah. Wow. Ind Indonesia is a massive Muslim hotspot. And I think, I think as they start to, to accept freedom of religion, I won't even say that they're starting to accept Christianity, but starting to accept that freedom. Hopefully others will follow suit. Okay, so let's talk for a moment about cultural religious identification or religious affiliation and spiritual religious affiliation. Okay. Right? Because I think that a lot of people who identify with or affiliate with one religion or another do so culturally, and it's a lot smaller number of people who do so spiritually. And as a Christian, I believe that the spiritual affiliation is the most important, right? Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of folks where I come from that'll tell you straight up they're a Christian. But come Sunday morning at 9 a.m., you're not likely to find many of them in church. I think America is coming more and more that way. And a lot of European countries have been that way a long time and have gone beyond even being culturally Christian. Um, I think if you ask the, the, the average American on the street right now, are you a Christian? I think the majority would probably say yes. But if you ask them, do you go to church? That'd be another story. Now I'm not saying you have to go to church to be a Christian, but I'm saying that it's a pretty good indication that you're serious about your religion if you actively practice your religion. Right. I, I don't know if I would say would would say um, in you think, you think we're beyond that now? now? Yeah, I, I think I think a big part of that is is our own cultural yeah, our cultural box is real. You got to put uh -huh. it there. We you come know, from the Bible Belt. Exactly, we're in the Bible Belt, where everyone, you know, is quote unquote Christian on Sunday, but lives their life the rest of the week um, how they would choose. Um, the religious nuns, right? The N O N E S. Um, 
as of 2014 in this article was 69%. No, 31%. So I, I think it would be hard to say Christian would become the, the majority culturally. I think in certain areas, like the South, it would definitely be. Um, even even certain areas in you know the Midwest uh, or even even up towards you know Michigan and uh, northern Illinois and that area is a is a very large Lutheran mainline uh, Protestant uh, population but I I think the majority of of people would not immediately jump to Christian. They would jump to yes, I'm spiritual. Yes, I'm religious. Something like that. But I, I don't think they would go as far as saying they're Christian. So to tie that back to our article, do you think the reasoning behind that? Because I don't think that was always the case. I think there was a time in our nation's past that number would be much higher. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that is because of our freedom of religion that we have? Because we don't have a a, a, a church-run government that we've allowed our country to go off kilter because of it? Uh, it's a question that I wasn't expecting, Matt. I, I don't, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think necessarily that it's, that we can narrow it down to being purely about freedom of religion. Um, I do think personally, um, that's, that is a big part of it. But I don't think it's necessarily the sole part or sole reason behind it. Um, I think the um, the constantly changing religious landscape of the United States is a large part of it. That's a nice. Yeah. Way of, that's a good way of putting it, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> I think as as the religious landscape even the Christian religious landscape, as it shifts and changes so much, it's easy to say, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. And they go and find something that's sadly more stable in their eyes. Well, that's a good future podcast episode, right? It there is. To talk about the, the history of that. That's something I know both of you and I are very interested in. And, um, so, yeah, but, but let me tell you my, right, right. Let me tell you my thinking on that. I don't think that our freedom of religion is so much affected that, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's almost a cleansing fire tap thing. That, um, it reminds me of the story in the Bible where Jesus was talking and to all these folks, and all these folks was following him around from town to town. And the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus finally just went on off. He went on off by himself. He had them go get the boat ready. And he said, I'll you know, you know, take the boat on out. I'll come out and meet you. And then we had the whole storm thing and all that, right? Right. But he was getting away from them crowds. Um, I think crowds is not always the best thing. And I have to be real careful how I say this because yeah. I'm very pro-evangelism, okay? But I also realize 
Oh, okay. Nobody's listening to this podcast anyway, so uh, <laughs> if we upset somebody, probably could be a few years, this will, this will come back to bite me. Right. It's one of those living in small town things. Do you remember – oh, I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember in the town we're from, the play that comes at every Christmas? Heaven's Absolutely. Gates and Hell's Flames. Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, yep. Man, I've been there several times, brought in church groups there. Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames is this very theatrical play put on by a group of traveling people. They often get a few local people to help them with the production, some local church to support it, usually several local churches. And they come up and they just give a very dramatic look. Hellfire and brimstone. (laughs) Go through into these skits. They got kids dying up on stage and going to be burned in hell for eternal hellfire and damnation. Make a decision now or you're going to burn in hell forever. And then they just just, just flood the seats. I'm getting too excited. Let me calm down a second. They just flood the seats. And then they got all these people just, just who just, they need to make a salvation uh, decision right this moment. And listen, I'm all for a salvation decision, but I guarantee you, I can take 23rd graders in there and I can walk out of there with 15 salvations. Okay. And I was taught very well how to play this game, but I'm sick and tired of this because it's just a freaking game. Okay. Because you can get people's emotions and you can get people to make a decision real quick, but you never won their hearts. You know? And I feel like that whenever we have cultural Christianity, we get a lot of people to join in the boat who aren't really in the boat. A lot of people who really aren't following Jesus. You know? Right. And it's not effective. It's just not effective at all. All it does is hurt the cause of Christ whenever we have all these people who aren't really there. So I don't think it's such a bad thing that not everybody identifies as Christian anymore. It does make it harder for churches to function and do certain things, but you know what? It should be hard. You know, we were never told it was going to be easy. It was hard for the apostles and they were the ones who literally walked with Jesus. Right. So I'm getting off of this a little bit, but this is kind of talking about that whole being able to uh, prophetize thing. We absolutely should be prophetizing and, we're going to go into these places where you might get beheaded for it. And listen, I've never been to a place where I might get beheaded for prophetizing, for telling somebody about Jesus. I very much respect those people who have. I got a couple of books. I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelf full of stories of martyrs who've gone and done exactly such a thing. These Jesus freak books are awesome books, by the way. <laughs> um, full of stories of martyrs like that, you know, who have done that. Right. That's a proud tradition in, in Christianity. Yep. So, these people getting together and making that safer, that's great because you know what? We're not going to stop. There's no reason for us to ever stop, no matter if it was a prosecu- persecution or not. Right. So, and, and like I said, I don't think it's bad that the Muslims are doing it, even though I completely disagree with them, and I think they're leading people to hell. Right. Man. Uh, I mean, what, what more do you add to that um, without – taking our podcast another 45 minutes um <laughs> sorry no no because you're you're right on it's uh evangelism is one of the core tenets of christianity right if we're following jesus and the apostles then we must be evangelizing no doubt about it right 
so having these types of things in place gives Christians the opportunity to to follow through on what they're supposed to be doing. I, I do better add something else. So I don't want to extend our podcast a long time, but I will, I do, I, I got to mention here, there are people who are working on this. Right. There are Christians who are working on this, bringing cultures together so that we know more about them so that we can be more effective in evangelizing. Um, I wish I could remember his name. It's a friend of mine uh, from my, from Forest Meadows Baptist Church here. He works with them. He works with several groups uh, in Dallas here trying to uh, spread knowledge of other cultures and get these cultures to talk to each other because the most effective way to evangelize to these Muslims is to understand their culture. Absolutely. I mean, you've talked about culture several times. Um, last episode, I think you brought up that book, um, yep. Misreading Scripture, with Western eyes, right? Yep. That it's very important that we understand where the scripture comes from. If we're going to try to explain it, especially somebody who's in the Eastern culture that the scripture came from in the first place. Right. Um, so there are people who are working on that. And, you know, I think it's important. We pray for those folks and, and try to help support their, their, their mission. Um, you know, I told you a while back about my church supporting the international World mission board by the Southern Baptist convention. It's one of the reasons the International Mission Board is so important. They're actually trying to get missionaries in different far-reaching countries who can work with the cultures of those countries, you know? Right. Um, So the more we know about each other, the better. Um, Again, one of the great things about living here in Dallas is that we have access to some cultural stuff that we didn't before. You mentioned our biases earlier. And it's important that we keep talking about things like this. And we started this article by saying, I've never heard of these people. But then once me and you started researching a little bit, we were like, well, you know what? These actually probably some very influential. I had no idea Indonesia was such a large country or any of this. I thought Indonesia was, I didn't know much of anything about Indonesia, honestly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I have anything else to add to the, to the con- context of the article. <laughs> okay. Any other thoughts? That's all the thoughts I got now. You want to give us a uh, wise word or um, some sort of uh, some wisdom we should take with us throughout the week there, sir? Oh, I don't know about wisdom for the week. Um, avoid mowing your yard while it's uh, a drought. I cannot breathe at the moment. Um, but I do want to say, and I know Matt plugged his podcast last week. If y'all hadn't gone and found it yet, it's... Uh, Stories of thankfulness is that is that what it's called? Yes, nice. Yes. Storiesofthankfulness.com. Oh, you even got a website going. Really? Well, the website's not actually up. I think it just redirects. But yes, I'll have to take a look. Ah, oh, didn't go anywhere. Um, uh, but I I went ahead and got my first uh solo podcast recorded last week. It will be coming out in October. Um, where we're, you know, while Matt and I are reviewing articles, I am reviewing whole books. Um, so that will be coming out in October. Gives me plenty of time to to get the second book done. We're going to do Mere Christianity first because I've read it like six times. So makes uh, makes the first first months worth of podcasts easy to go and gives me some time to get caught up on the second book. 
So October is when that's going to be coming out? Yes, that's when it's scheduled. The first Monday of October, I think. So it's like the fourth or something. Okay. Well, that will be very cool. I'm looking forward to it. I've not got to actually hear this podcast yet. That's right. uh, I'm looking forward to it. So you're covering Mere Christianity the first episode? Mere Christianity, well, the first five episodes. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah well, it, it's three books. It bears it bears talking about, doesn't yep. it? That it does. It's a, And it's just a good book altogether. If you hadn't read it, you should read it. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it.